I'm always hyper. <laughs> Good morning and welcome to another edition of Live Stream Sunday School for Akron Alliance Fellowship Church in Akron, Ohio. Thank you for joining me this morning. My name is Melvin Gaines. Uh, my sidekick, my lovely bride, is here with me as well to, to put in notes and remind me that I'm hyper. Uh, <laughs> we're going to get started with our music selection for this morning. Um, the Community Praise Church, um, uh, great songs, I, I must say. They, they just sound so authentic and wonderful. And uh, this one is Give Thanks. So while we allow people to jump on with us, uh, thanks again for being here this morning. And so we Good morning, Arlen. Good morning, Ronnie. And good morning, Lynn. <laughs> good morning, Roscoe. Thank you, I know. Smiling is a good thing. Good morning, Ann and Larry. Ronnie, good morning. Uh, well, okay. Well, we'll pray for you about those uh, those tests, okay? okay. Amen. Good morning, Clarinda. Thanks for being here this morning. Charles and Joanna, good morning. Everybody's ready to jump on this morning. Thank you for being here this morning. It's a good time to give thanks. Jasper, Ann and Larry, good morning. I think I said that once, didn't I? Yeah. Turn my head one second and that's that. for some of the historians out there. Thanks again, Arlen, for that uh, selection. We had the past three weeks, we were able to do some songs from the Community Praise Church praise team. Um, this one was uh, the song Give Thanks, and we appreciate that very much. And, um, yeah, Ronnie, we are praying for you. Uh, we want to make sure that uh, that is recognized, that uh, 
uh, having tests run. Uh, we want to make sure that everything is uh, going well, and we're praying for that right now. Um, a bit of a fun fact for you historians out there. You may remember my, uh, my kids, um, Allison and Bradley, the twins. Um, they are actually going to be um, uh, 35 years old this year on June the 18th. Uh, if you can believe that, uh, yeah, that's the, that's a, a quite a significant time frame. So for those of you who remember them when they were little, uh, little children, well, guess what? You're you're getting old just like me. Hey. <laughs> so it's it's just uh, it's it's just it's really striking how time has gone by and it goes by so quickly and you don't even really understand how that happens, but. Um, anyway, Cindy, good morning. Larry, good morning. Uh, Lisa, good morning. Uh, thanks for being here. Yeah, they're going to be 35 years old this year. And, and, and among other landmarks, we want to make sure that we recognize Roger in our church. I'm not going to mention last names. Uh, you, you guys know who, you, who that person is. I try to avoid that if I can, only because this gets out uh, a lot of different places. Um, Roger's birthday uh, is, is today, actually. And... Uh, Gus Jr. and Tia, their anniversary is right around now. I don't know if it's today or the day before, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a disclaimer on all of my, uh, should be a disclaimer on all broadcasts. Uh, I have no responsibility for anything. Uh, you have no responsibility. Bingo. Um, well, that's okay. So good morning. Uh, we appreciate you being here. Uh, just so you know, we want to get into our Next lesson regarding biblical inerrancy, we'll do that uh, once we clear a couple of announcements. Please make a note that um, we have uh, uh, a message that's going to be following uh, this Sunday school class online. Uh, it's the marriage of the Lamb. Gus, uh, Pastor Gus uh, has uh, that message available for us online after Sunday school. That will be the live message as well in church today. For those of you in Akron, we welcome you and we'd love to have you um, uh, come by and see and say hello, see us and say hello. But that is going to be online here, uh, The Marriage of the Lamb uh, by Pastor Gus after Sunday school, and it'll be also available in church at after 11 o'clock today. Please remember your tithes and offerings. We really do appreciate everyone being very diligent with that. We Our church format has changed so much over the past couple of years where um, we're asking people, we don't pass around a collection plate. We just ask you to drop it into a box or uh, in the lobby area of the church or, or mail it. And if you're mailing your tithes and offerings, we appreciate you doing that. Akron Alliance Fellowship, 688 Diagonal Road, Akron, Ohio, 44320. We really, really appreciate your uh, giving um, by tithes and offerings. We really do uh, want to make sure that that continues, and we appreciate it very much. And we know that there are challenges now more and more today, right, with the, uh, the way things have gone up in price, gasoline, food, all those good things uh, that we rely upon, that we really need. But uh, we, we pray that the Lord gives us wisdom as far as giving anyway, right? So let's keep doing that and let's make sure that we are doing everything we can to be uh, diligent in that area. Okay, and that would be the announcements. I wanted to make sure I covered all of the anniversary dates and all that good stuff, but uh, it's a really special time that we're in right now. Obviously, we, we can recognize that by just looking at how life is going in general, and we want to just give praise and give thanks, like we just said from the song, for what God has done to preserve and keep us, because I think that's really, really important for us to see. He's not leaving us. He's not abandoning us. He's not going anywhere. He's right here with us in our midst. We need to be prayerful and stay focused on him as we indeed give thanks to him for what he's doing. So I, I would I trust that you're all doing that. We, we really, really, I, I try not to emphasize, I can't emphasize enough, uh, let's put it that way. I can't emphasize enough the importance of you focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Focus on him. Uh, it, it, it does you little to no good to focus on anything else but Jesus in the midst of the times we're living in. And I say that with all sincerity. I want you just to keep focused on Jesus, focus on his word. He will enrich you. He will help you. He will make you stronger. He will indeed be that tower you can run into and be safe. That's where we need to be. We need to plant ourselves in that area. And we're reminded of the importance of doing so in God's word.
and we were reminded of the importance of doing so, recognizing that biblical inerrancy is a very important subject. We want to make sure that we look at how God has indeed provided us the opportunity to see him speaking to us through a number of people throughout the history, uh, history as we know it and understand it, but we have recorded documentation. Uh, we're going to be talking about the medieval period today, which we'll just be focusing on two different individuals, if we can get to all the material. And um, that's going to be really, really important for us to see that these people who followed these church fathers we covered already, these medieval fathers, they just carried the torch further along down down the road. And it, it sets the stage for the period of the Reformation that's coming up, which we'll be getting to uh, in couple of weeks or so, I think. Uh, I don't know exactly what week it'll be, but we'll be getting to that because we're kind of doing a free-form class. Let's just put it that way, right? We're, we, have a, we have an intent of trying to cover things from a historical perspective, but we also want to make sure that we're covering the Word and recognizing the importance of the Word. This particular lesson will have some scriptures that we'll look at. We won't be looking at too many of them, but we will be looking at that and as well as an important subject within uh, the materials. So again, thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate you being here. Let's get into the word. Let's get into uh, the subject matter of the medieval period. And we're going to do so with a word of prayer. Amen. Father, we just thank you for this time that you have set aside for us to just sit and quietly hear you speak to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, as we uh, move through this material and this information, Lord, may the Spirit speak to us about your wonder on how you indeed have spoken to us on many, many occasions. And you've done so through the help of your people, the people who choose to follow you, the people who choose to recognize who you are. We thank you for the Spirit, who is the one who gives us this information and relays it to us. And also gives us not just the information, but now gives us wisdom and understanding of that information. Lord, we just give you praise and thanks for what you're doing and what you continue to do. You spoke to the original fathers back in the day, and you speak to us today. And we thank you, and we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, for Ronnie, okay. We, we prayed. Oh, let me pray for Ronnie. That's true. Lord, we pray that you just look over Ronnie right now, and we pray about the tests and the information that's being uh ascertained by the doctors that everything is going to be in order and we pray lord that you provide your healing where it's needed nonetheless not just physically but spiritually where we just have peace in the situation and we give you thanks in jesus's name amen okay wanted to get that in uh, thank you for my bride reminding me of that all right everybody let's take a look at the material in the medieval period and again this subject is important to cover i want you to see here as we go through these people in history, because this is what is really important for us to understand here. They are the ones that are preserving and keeping the word going throughout the times that we are studying here. You have to have people who step up to the plate and say that this word is true, and the word is truth, and keep affirming that. And this content for this particular class is adapted from uh, the text Biblical Inerrancy, the Historical Evidence by Norman Geisler. Uh, most of that is going to be spent here today. And it's important to see this. We've got to see how God is putting people in place, literally decade after decade, century after century, moving up to our modern times about the importance of how God's word is being kept and preserved in its original content. That's the important thing to see here. So let's look at this more closely. The medieval fathers of the church held firmly to the divine origin of scripture they believed that there could not possibly be even one error in Scripture. Now, we're not talking about translation errors. We're talking about the original content. That is very important for you to always remember. And, and really, uh, if someone makes an argument about uh, content errors, you'll tell them, no, there's no content error as far as what God is trying to portray. There have been interpretation errors that have been corrected over the years as well, too. And I'll, I'll even address something here uh, shortly about an interpretation error as well. Well, I won't say it's an error. It's, it depends on who, who you're talking to, right? It's not necessarily an error. It's just the way things are seen. But it, the information is virtually the same. And, and let's take a look at it for what it says here. We have to look at um, any supposed error in our translation must be understood to be apparent 
not real or else to be an error in the copy, but not the original. That's the point. The copy may have an error, but the original, there's no error. That's what the medieval fathers are saying here. And the canon of scripture was given by God and thereby it is infallible. It has full divine authority on all matters it addresses. All matters it addresses. Now, I want to point this out too. Because scripture, uh, it doesn't address everything, but the thoughts behind uh, morality, good and evil, very clear when it comes to those things, right? And so there's no ambiguity when it comes to that. The things that matter most, we need to look to, is it something that God would have us to do? Is it something biblical? Is it something uh, that Jesus would emulate in any way, shape, or form? Or we are, how are we to emulate Jesus? Um, these are things we have to look at here when we look at this particular subject of what the Word is and how we are to behave according to the Word. The two greatest Christian teachers in the Middle Ages stand at either end of it. At the beginning of it was Augustine, who was the Bishop of Hippo, and at the end was Thomas Aquinas. Those are names you've heard, right? You remember those names. The lesser teachers of this period essentially held the same view of Scripture in between both uh, Augustine and Thomas Aquinas. Let's take a look at Augustine. Augustine lived from AD 50, uh, approximately AD 354 to AD 430. That's the time where he was alive. And he has a number of writings. There's a number of writings that he put forth to, again, a firm scripture, confessions, uh, the commentary on the Psalms, uh, harmony of the Gospels. He wrote the book Letters and Against Faustus and on the Trinity. He covered a lot of material. And so we, we're going to cover a good amount of that uh, uh, quickly just to keep things moving through and not be in any way boring <laughs> doing this because there's always a risk, right? So, but we need to understand exactly what they're writing and, and relay that and how it relates to us. So first of all, the origin of Scripture, he wrote about that, and he inferred, uh, informed all of us, not inferred, but informed all of us that it was inspired of God. And do me a favor and turn your Bibles and electronic devices to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Let's go through this, verses 1 through 5. I'm going to be pulling from that because he's going to be referring to that passage uh, in Scripture, Genesis 1, verses 1 through 5. Um, this is something that we need to see here. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. Follow along in your Bible, please. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night, and evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. Now, what Augustine wrote about that passage, he says, Among, the, among these prophets was the one who announced in writing, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And it was so, and it was so fitting that faith in God should come through such a witness that he was inspired by the same Spirit of God who had revealed these truths to him to predict far in advance our own future faith. He wrote that in Confessions. Um, and, and so we need to understand something. It's generally believed and accepted that Moses uh, was the author of Genesis. It doesn't really give him uh, the exact title of that, but that's what is generally believed, that he was the one who compose these first five books of the Bible, not the Pentateuch, not just uh, uh, Genesis itself, but all five of them. And so what would that mean? Moses was alive much later than, of course, the creation of the world, right? I mean, he would have had to have been inspired by God to compose and write down this information and record it. And so that's the inspiration that Augustine is referring to. Let's go next to the next point here, this mediator, has, having spoken what he judged sufficient, first by the prophets, then by his own lips, and afterward by the apostles, has besides produced the scripture, which is called canonical, which has paramount authority, and to which we yield assent in all matters of which we ought not to be ignorant, and yet cannot know of ourselves. That's also in Confessions. 
Now, let's take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. Go to 1 Timothy 2. Now, 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. And he refers to this mediator. Who is this? Uh, when, when, when Augustine is speaking, who is this mediator? The mediator is Jesus Christ. That's who he's referring to. Um, and that's what we want to always make, make sure we recognize here, too. He spoke what was judged sufficient first by the prophets, then by his own lips, and afterwards by the apostles. He is the one who produced the scripture. He is the one that gives us what we need to know. In 1 Timothy 2.5, it says, For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. That's the man Christ Jesus. It's made very clear who that mediator is. And that is the mediator that we recognize because he mediates between uh, ourselves, our flesh, our fleshliness and all that, and God. And because we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we have indeed fellowship with Jesus and fellowship with God. We are accepted. We are acceptable by God because of what Jesus has done for us. Amen. And the next point by Augustine, so too we conceive of all that has been recorded by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit who has placed, so to speak, the seeds of saving truth in each letter as far as possible. That comes from commentary on the Psalms. Take a look at what it says here in John 16, 13. John chapter 16, verse 13. The Holy Spirit is so important. Amen? Uh, could we be able to function at all without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Or would we just be just like everybody else? We have a different perspective on things because we indeed have the Holy Spirit to draw upon to help us through these moments of chaos and confusion. Understand, where does chaos and confusion come from? Does that come from God? Absolutely not. It comes from Satan. He is the one who is the great deceiver, the great divider. He is the one who... He's the one who causes all the division that we see in this world today. He, you have to understand that that's really what it comes down to. God is the one who is the unifier. God is the one who brings people together. God brings people together through commonality. And we need to understand that the Holy Spirit has to be working in this effort to make sure that we all indeed do come together. Verse 13 of John 16 says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. Amen. Amen. What about the Holy Spirit and how important that is? And so uh, Augustine is giving us a very clear picture as to how Scripture is indeed inspired by God. It, it's inspired of God. It comes from God. It's a direct way of communication to us. And we've heard this before, so don't um, no criticism involved as far as the repetition. The repetition is important here when it comes to affirming the importance of God's word. We need to see that. We need to see that over time. We need to see how God's word is indeed timeless. It's a timeless word. It's a word that is for us. It's for all eternity. There is no change in this word. It will always exist. It always has existed as far as God's existence because he's an eternal God. But now we have it to draw upon to make sure that we indeed recognize his presence. The next thing to mention here about the origin of Scripture is about the oracles of God. The oracles of God. And it made me uh, take pause. Oracles. O-R-A-C-L-E-S. Oracles of God. Um, he speaks of those Christian teachers who wrote from the divine oracles. Now that's what um, Augustine is saying. And I felt it was a good idea to take a look at what the oracles of God are because I don't think everybody knows right away what they are. And and depending upon where you look, there's actually a different interpretation of it. So let's take a look at that real quick because I want to make sure that we have clarity as we do these studies because I don't like throwing out words without giving define, definitions, ways of defining these words at all too. So it says, what are the oracles of God? Our good friends from gotquestions.org answer the question for us or at least provide answers to the question. It's, uh, it's important for us to see. There are several places in the Bible that mention the oracles of God. In the New Testament, the term oracles of God refers to the word of God. Remember, this is after Jesus, right? The word of God. Um, in the Old Testament, it sometimes refers to a part of the temple. Uh, not all English translation, translations of the Bible contain the, phrases, the phrase oracles of God, 
So it depends on what version you're reading from to see that actual reference. The New Testament Greek phrase sometimes translated oracles of God is logion theo. Logion theo. Logion being the plural form of logos. Words of God is a good translation for that. The King James Version, the ESV, English Standard Version, the uh, NASB, and some other versions put oracles of God um, in their reference, in their, in, their, in their verses. This is a fine translation, too, as long as we define oracle properly. So in modern usage, the word oracle often refers to a person, which is what I would have understood, right? The oracle, that person who is referring to it, such as a priest, um, or a medium through whom gods or spirits speak. An oracle can also be the place where the priest or medium receives divine messages. But an older definition of oracle, and the one used by some Bible translators, is a message from God. The oracles of God in the New Testament are the messages or words of God. Um, in Acts 7.38, turn to that please. Acts chapter 7, verse 38. Acts 7.38, Stephen speaks of how Moses received living oracles to give to us. Notice how he's referring to Moses, who we just referred to earlier here. Look what it says in Acts 7.38. Moses was with our ancestors, the assembly of God's people in the wilderness, whom the angel spoke to him at Mount Sinai. And there Moses received life-giving words to pass on to us. Amen. It's God's word being passed on directly to us. And so we need to recognize that. And so living oracles to us, I didn't read from that. I read, read from the New Living Translation. But living oracles to us is in the ESV version uh, of this particular passage, okay? Go to Romans 3, 2 real quick. Romans chapter 3, verse 2. Okay. So Romans 3, 2 mentions the oracles of God in the ESV. Um, now, I'm going to be reading again from the NLT, and I, I, I don't want to bounce around. I'm just giving you reference points so that you can look those things up yourself. If you don't have an ESV version, then um, that's fine. But it mentions oracles of God in the ESV. It says, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Romans 3, 2 here, the NLT says, yes, there are great benefits. First of all, the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. The revelation of God. The Jews were entrusted with this. So we need to see that. That's what it means when we talk about it. That's how it's being used in this particular passage. And what you're seeing as you look at this, you see the different ways this is being defined. And it's being defined this way for clarity, right? We, we are getting greater understanding of what's taking place here. Paul is highlighting the fact that the Jews who received, copied, and preserved the Tanakh, the Tanakh, excuse me, had been entrusted with the very word of God. This was an advantage to the Jews because it meant the gospel would be preached to them first and then the Gentiles. And that's what it was said. Uh, that was referred to by Paul and, both, and, and Jesus as well, too. That's how, that's how it all came down. Of course, this advantage was only applicable to those who believed it. Amen? Uh, if you don't believe it, it doesn't really matter who gets it first. <laughs> um, Paul states in the verses that follow, truly uh, the same thing. Some were unfaithful. That's what it says in Romans 3.3. 3. Some of them were unfaithful, but just because they were unfaithful, does that mean God will be unfaithful? No, of course not. But that's what that means. Some people were indeed unfaithful anyway. So we need to recognize that the good news is Paul continues that both Jews and Gentiles now have access to righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. Drop down to verses 21 and 22. Same passage, Romans chapter 3. Gen Jews and Gentiles now have access to righteousness. We're trusting that this word is truth. Amen. We're trusting that what's being said to us is true because it comes directly from God. These oracles, right? These, these statements that are being made. It says in verse 21 and 22 of Romans 3, 21, uh, new NLT version. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Remember, we have the old covenant um, that was made between God and the people of Israel. And we have the new covenant. And the new covenant is Jesus Christ. And that's what we have to trust in and believe in now. And that's who we should be believing in as far as our faith is concerned. It's Jesus Christ. And so everybody has access to it. 
No one is denied from it. Um, you can reject it. You have every right to do so if you want to, but ultimately that's the thing that we, we want to recognize. This whole thing about biblical inerrancy, people will make statements about things uh, and they'll reject the Lord, but it's like that's for you to choose to do. It doesn't mean that the word isn't true and it doesn't mean that the word does not come directly from God. We, we do these things sometimes. We have to understand Satan is very clever and he will keep people away from the knowledge of the truth uh, as long as they want to be subjected to staying away from that. And that's the important thing to recognize here. Hebrews 5.12 also speaks of the oracles of God in the NASB. We don't need to go to that. I'm just going to keep moving. You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. Again, the oracles of God here are the words of God. The writer of Hebrews says that his readers should have moved beyond the basic principles of God's word and onto meteor subjects. Instead, they're like babies who are not ready for solid food. That's in verses 13 and 14. We all have to mature in our faith. Amen? We've got to keep growing. We can't just be stuck on the uh, the short uh, verses Jesus wept or um, we're not praying like we were praying when we were children, right? We, we, we grow in our faith. We have to mature in our faith, and that's what needs to take place. The Holy Spirit is the one who provides this maturity. The Holy Spirit is the sanctifier of our faith. He helps us to grow and mature, and we should all be progressing on that. And there's other references here that I'm going to move on from about 1 Peter 4.11, uh, mentioning the oracles of God in the King James Version. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. And basically, we just want to make sure that we're quoting scripture properly, expounding on his meaning properly, speaking the oracles of God. That's the important thing to recognize here. So uh, we'll move on from that, but I think you get the picture as far as what oracles of God are and how we refer to them. And ultimately, it's the word of God. It's the word of God either conveyed by people or individuals or the word itself, the word as we read it. So I wanted to make that clear as we went through this and made that determination. Augustine also wrote about the words of God, and that's something we need to recognize too. When they write what he has, what, that he has taught and said, it should not be asserted that he did not write it, since the members only put down what they had come to know at the dictation or the diets of the head. Therefore, whatever he wanted us to read concerning his words and deeds, he commanded the disciples his hands to write. Wow. Hence, one cannot but receive what he reads in the Gospels, though written by the disciples, as though it were written by the very hand of the Lord himself. What a powerful, that's a beautiful thing to write down. That's a, that's a great thing to see. That's what Augustine wrote. That comes from Harmony of the Gospels. That's, uh, he's writing about the actual Gospels itself, um, and he is just spot on with that. That's a great way of putting it. Um, the words that we read are because it's almost as if God wrote them himself, and we need to understand that. That is a beautiful passage, and that makes me smile just thinking about that. That's really pretty important. The nature of Scripture. Uh, Augustine also puts down about the nature of Scripture being authoritative. There is an apostolic authority, uh, a uniform authority, and a unique authority. Um, the apostolic authority, the authority of these books has come down to us from the apostles. Um, and he mentions that in Against Faustus. That's one of the books that he wrote. The submission of every faithful and pious mind uh, has communicated this to us. And the truth, the truth of the divine scriptures has been received into the canonical summit of authority. For this reason, they are commended for the building up of our faith, not by anybody you please, but by the apostles themselves. That comes from Aquinas' book, Letters. What a beautiful writing. He's a great writer. Boy, you know, I, I may have to go ahead and go back and look at those. He's a, he's a fantastic writer. I remember studying... Thomas, uh, I remember studying about um, Augustine, excuse me, not Thomas Aquinas, Augustine, that's August, uh, Thomas Aquinas is coming later, uh, during uh, church history studies and also when I was in school. It's just beautiful writings, but this is what's being conveyed to the people there in the uh, early 300s and, and near 400 uh, about God's word and God's truth. And he set the sage, Augustine did, for other writers to follow him and just basically echo what he is writing as well, too. The uniform authority. Um, 
the uniform authority is that it was harmonious. The scriptures were coming as if from the mouth of one man, commend themselves to the belief of the most accurate and clear-sighted piety and demand for their discovery and confirmation of the calmest intelligence and most ingenious research. So remember now, he's actually answering against other people as well, too, in this text against Faustus, who wanted to criticize what God's word was doing. And so we have a lot of defenders of the faith back then, right? And, and that's what Augustine was doing here. He's also defending the faith. He's defending it because he's saying God's word is true. And it is indeed a unique authority. Um, we have to understand that scripture has a sacredness peculiar to itself. That's a beautiful writing, beautiful study there. And it is indeed divine. Um, all the Catholic expounders of the divine scriptures, both old and new, um, he's referring to all of those individuals as well, too. All of those people who are put together, who compose uh, Scripture. And, of course, important, it's important for us to remember, we talk about the Bible being a historical uh, document. Um, Augustine is saying the same thing. It's a historical. Um, it's interesting. I'm going to read this one passage here about what happened with Adam and Eve, right? Uh, it says, God did not even wish to create the woman who was to be mated with man in the same way that he created man, but rather out of him in order that the whole human race might be derived entirely from one single individual. He took a bone from the man's side and made it a mate to collaborate in procreation. Of course, this was all done in a divine way. If some people take these true facts for mere fables, it's because they are un use unfamiliar everyday craftsmanship to measure that power and wisdom of God, which not merely can be not merely can but does produce even seeds without seeds amen so what he's saying here is you can't use human logic to understand what took place with adam and eve or anything else that's going on because we don't have any realization that god had to do that whole thing about creating eve out of adam um he's the one who puts out uh, the seeds without having seeds to germinate into those seeds god is the ultimate creator right God then formed man of the dust of the earth and by his breath gave man a soul which such as I have described. That comes from the uh, text, City of God. What a beautiful thing to say here. But we recognize a lot of people try to deny the power of God and think that the things that are happening or the, the fact that we have this text that has been preserved all, over, all through these years to the modern times now uh, for a couple thousand years, literally, that's what we're, we're referring to. Um, ultimately, people want to deny the truth. They want to deny that God can do these things, but they because, it's because they have a lack of understanding of who God is. God is not that powerful God that we were reading about. God is not the one who created the woman out of man. God is not the one who actually uh, brought forth the earth and said, let there be light. They, they always doubt or question everything. Where are those doubts coming from, everybody? The people who want to deny who God is, the people who want to say that there's a different way to go, there's an alternative way to go, to take your focus off of uh, worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, those people are evil. Uh, I'll just tell it like it is. They are evil. They are not of God. They are not uh, recognizing God's power. And unfortunately, uh, for those individuals, as they choose to deny God, they will have a punishment. They will have a reward waiting for them. Uh, at that moment when that uh, when a time comes when they are ready to be judged and uh, I, I certainly want to be the one who is not part of that <laughs> and I and I because I believe that God has done and said everything that he uh, has professed to do through his word I believe in the uh, uh, of course the creation uh, of the earth I believe in uh, of course Adam and Eve and how that whole thing came about and how they were uh, put together and created because only God can do those things. Amen? We can't do those things. So we have to recognize that. Um, yeah, and even the fact about Moses. Look at this. Uh, listen to this real quick. As if Moses' body could not have been hid somewhere and he raised up and be raised up therefrom by divine power at the time when Elias and he were seen with Christ. Just as at the time of Christ's passion, many bodies of the saints arose and after his resurrection appeared, according to the scriptures, to many in the holy city. Augustine wrote that um, uh, on the gospel of St. John. 
And you have to understand, nobody's ever found Moses's, uh, where Moses was buried. That's really interesting to make a note of that. Uh, he went away. Uh, we don't know exactly what happened. We can uh, infer that he was never found there because he never remained there uh, on the top of that mountain when he was finally uh, at the end of his life. And scripture makes a point that he was full of life uh, and, and still was pretty vibrant and invigorated uh, at the end of his life. Uh, and that's something that we have to recognize, that God is indeed the one, very mysterious in many ways, right? But he is the one who is capable of doing these things. Um, it goes beyond what man can understand sometimes, but we have to have faith and believe that God indeed can do these things. Well, let me ask you a question since that comes to mind. When we talk about how God can do things that are unseen and unforeseen, do you believe in him? Has he not shown you ways that he has responded in prayer and he's done things that are beyond what we can see and beyond what we can understand, but yet we give him glory indeed, right? Uh, Roscoe, you're right. Man likes to take credit for perfect things. You're absolutely right. We, they want to try to take credit for things but we have to understand something. If there is a cure for cancer out there, and there may very well be a cure for cancer out there, uh, that's coming from God, isn't it? God has to enable these people to recognize it. So we have to understand that there are some things that God can do that we cannot do on our own. We can try to take credit for it, but at the end of the day, when we look at it and analyze it for what it truly is, God is the one who enables those things to be seen or those things to be unseen. Amen? So we need to recognize that. And of course, the most important thing we want to see here that uh, Augustine is saying here is that the word is infallible and inerrant. Infallible and inerrant. And that is really important to recognize. Um, he writes, For it seems to me that most disastrous consequences must follow upon our believing that anything false is found in the sacred books. That is to say, that the men by whom the scripture has been given to us and committed to writing did put down in these books anything false. For if you once admit into such a high sanctuary of authority one false statement as made in the way of duty, there will not be left a single sentence of those books, which, if appearing to any one difficult in practice or hard to believe, may not by the same fatal rule be explained away as a statement in which intentionally and under a sense of duty the author declared what was not true. That's from his book of letters. Understand something. What he's basically saying here, if I can paraphrase it for you, if you find one false statement in God's word, I'm talking about the original writings, the original communication coming, it negates everything. It negates everything. If you find one false statement in the Bible um, about God and his truth, how he conveys himself, how he indeed does not lie, if you find one false statement like that, it negates the entire Bible. And we have to recognize that. And that is exactly what's being said here. And so please recognize that. And I'm going to cover one more point here. If we are perplexed by an apparent contradiction in Scripture... It is not allowable to say that the author of this book is mistaken, but either the manuscript is faulty or the translation is wrong, or you have misunderstood. That's the thing we want to see here, too. This is also an against Faustus. So, uh, again, answering any criticism about finding things that may have been transcribed improperly or copied incorrectly, we want to make sure that we're make, uh, making sure that understanding here that if there appears to be a contradiction, there is one of three reasons why. It says either the manuscript is faulty or the translation is wrong or you misunderstood it. <laughs> That's what we have to rec recognize here, too. Um, you cannot say that the author of the book is mistaken. You, you can, well, you can say it, but it's not going to be correct. It's going to be incorrect. God's word is truth, and God's word continues to be true. All right, I've just got a couple of minutes here to cover, uh, and, it's, and I, I think we're on time here. No problem here. Thomas Aquinas. This is actually actually at the end of the medieval period. This is uh, one that's well after uh, Augustine. Um, he was alive from 1225 to 1274 A.D. So now we're covering almost another 700, 800 years after uh, the life of Augustine. 
And he writes about the origin of Scripture as a revelation from God. And it was necessary for man's salvation that there be certain doctrine according to the divine revelation, truths which succeed human reason. Even regarding those truths which human reason can investigate, it was necessary that man be taught by divine revelation. It was revealed from God. For the truth about God which is learned through reason would be only known by a few after a long time and with an admixture of errors, but the salvation of man depends upon his knowledge of this truth which is in God. Therefore, in order that salvation might be the easier, easier be brought to men, be more certain, it was necessary that men be instructed concerning divine matters through divine revelation. And that's from Thomas Aquinas' writing Summa Theologica. And we want to recognize that what he's saying here is that the word had to come from God. It had to be defined by God. This whole thing about, what's the most important thing about believers remembering and knowing about? It's about salvation, isn't it? It's about a life with Jesus Christ. It's about believing in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, who died for your sins, and you recognize that he paid the punishment for your sins. That is essentially the divine revelation that is must stick for all believers. Amen? At the end of the day, we can wrestle with God about a lot of things that even he's written down for us and that's part of the fact that we have free will and we can have those discussions about those things. But at the end of the day, he has one way for us to have the knowledge of Jesus Christ. There's only one way to get to the Lord, and that's through Jesus Christ. In John 14, 6, it says that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And that's what we recognize here as a revelation from God, too. He's giving us information for us recognize there's no ambiguity in how we come to know the Lord uh, through Jesus Christ. There should be no ambiguity about it. It's very clear. That Aquinas, Thomas Aquinas also writes that is, the word is authored by God, that God is the author of Scripture, and it should be acknowledged. The nature of Scripture, it's authoritative. We are bound to believe all the contents of sacred Scripture. And, of course, he refers to it as being also infallible and inerrant, which is the purpose of this whole class. Uh, for our faith rests upon the revelation given to the apostles and prophets who wrote the canonical books and not on revelation, if there be such a thing, made to other teachers. Whence Augustine, he's referring back to Augustine, says in his letter to Jerome, only to those books which are called canonical have I learned to give honor so that I believe most firmly that no author in these books made any error in writing. And he's talking about the 66 books of the Bible. That's what he's referring to. It is heretical to say that any falsehood whatever is contained either in the Gospels or in any canonical scripture. And... And that's a, from a lecture that he gave, actually, too, referring to Job as well. Uh, it's, it's heresy, is what he's saying. It's heresy to say there's any falsehood, whatever, in Scripture. And may we be the ones to defend Scripture in the same manner. May we have the same zeal when it comes to that. Now, I don't expect anybody here to start you know, writing like uh, Augustine or Thomas Aquinas, but let's put it this way. If you're journaling, if you're writing and looking at how Scripture has been meaningful to you, you can convey that truth to others as well, too, and affirm Scripture in the same manner, just as these gentlemen did back in the day in the medieval period. And we're going to look at more people like that as we go through this and look at how God placed people throughout history to convey his truth and affirm his truth before others. As we get further and further away from when Jesus was on earth and when, and when the uh, apostles or the disciples were writing themselves. As we got further and further away from that time, there were going to be naysayers, there were going to be people who, people who questioned what was being said, and many of them did it, people, and believed this because they wanted their own attention. They didn't care about the truth. They cared about getting their own attention. Um, this is not unlike the world today. We have people out there who would much rather receive the attention as if they have some special insight into what God's Word is saying, and then and they'll take words and twist them around or say something um, uh, just ridiculous, honestly. Uh, if you're really looking at what the word says and you just shake your head sometimes when you see that. Not everything that you see on these um, TCT channel, for example. I'm going to just uh, put, put that out there for what it's worth. Not everything you see on TCT is, is necessarily 
uh, a good thing or authentic uh, when it comes to the Word of God. I say that because there's many great programs on TCT, that TCT network, but there are some that come on maybe it's a Saturday night, whatever it is, that are not worth your time. And that's because a lot of the things that are being said are more about getting attention for themselves rather than getting attention for um, the Word of God. And we say we have to recognize that. We have God has placed people throughout history to be able to convey truth, and we want to trust that you recognize this truth as you go forward as well, too. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your teaching. We thank you for what you're doing to minister to us through your word. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for helping us to just trust in you and believe that you do the things that you say that you will do and that you have done them and that you will continue to do them. Because, God, you are a God unlike any God that we could ever create here on earth, whether it be uh, money or finances or objects. Worshiping those things is meaningless and hopeless. Lord, we want to make sure that we're worshiping you and only you and that we're obedient to your word. Help us, O Lord, as we move forward and understand more about how you have preserved and kept your word all throughout history for us to enjoy, for us to relax in, for us to pay attention to, for us to share and spread to others of your goodness, and not just your goodness, but your greatness. And we thank you, Lord, for all that you've done and all you continue to do. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thanks, everyone. I hope that was an interesting study for you. It was, um, it went about the way I expected it to, which is surprising sometimes. But um, we appreciate you being here today, and we appreciate you understanding uh, the importance of biblical inerrancy. Keep sharing the importance of the trusting in the Word of God to anyone and everyone. If they speculate about it, just point them right back to Scripture and pray that the Holy Spirit speaks to them individually about it. God bless you all. Take care of yourselves, and we will see you. Oh, stay, uh, stay tuned also online for Pastor Gus's message uh, online here. Uh, the Marriage of the Lamb will be here online right after Sunday school. And we'll see you in Akron. Hold a parking space for us. Take care of yourselves, and we will see you next time.